only did a very quick trip through the Old Testament and have arrived at the time where the exiles have been, been allowed to return to their homeland. And so we are going to be able to take a little glimpse into Esther. She was a woman that lived during this time where um, Nehemiah, Ezra, Zerubbabel, the last few sermons that we've had, Esther lived right during that time. And so I want to just zoom in on her character tonight for our lesson. Um, oh, I have the clicker. I promised Ellen I would remember to do it. How do I do it? Is there anything special I need to do? Okay, all right. So I tried to find the most simple version of this time period. But you can see along the top you have Ezra, Esther, Nehemiah. And if you open up your Bibles and look, the Bible actually isn't in historical order. So Esther happens right between Ezra and Nehemiah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Um, and then down along the bottom, you see some other books of the Bible, the Haggai and Zechariah and Malachi. Those were prophets during this time. Um, and then there's a few other facts. But that's just really big picture how Esther fits into the scheme of things, okay? We have the Jewish people who had been captured by the Babylonians, and they had lived in exile for more than two generations, and then the Persian Empire swept in and defeated the Babylonians, and they really handled the Jews differently. They're like, hey, you guys can go back home, okay? <laughs> and so a lot of the Jews did this, but not all of them. And Esther was one of those Jews that stayed in Susa, which was the capital of Persia. And we're going to pick it up. If you guys want to open up to Esther... I'm kind of kicking myself. I wish I would have had given you guys like a little homework, pre-homework pre to read this um, because I'm not going to do a thorough reading of the story. I just want to really focus in on some aspects of Esther's character. So if you're not familiar with this story, go back and read it. Uh, but hopefully I'll give you enough information you're not going to be lost. So, Esther. <clears throat> How many of you have seen the movie One Night with a King? Oh, wow, just Ashley. Okay. I, I've never seen it. Um, from what I have picked up, it's very Hollywoodized, the story. Um, so obviously not reliable, but tonight we're going to look at what the Bible says about it. And my goal is for you guys to hopefully see yourselves a little bit more the way God sees you. That by studying Esther, you're going to understand his thoughts towards you and his purposes for your life, and be able to really put away what I'm calling false scripts that you've perhaps told yourself for years. Um, personally, I just finished reading the whole Bible in chronological order, which was a really cool thing to do. I highly recommend it. Um, but when I got to the end, I was reading in Revelation, and the scripture that describes Satan just so hit me, how he's described as an accuser who accuses us night and day. And then I restarted. So this week I restarted and went back to Genesis. And sure enough, right at the beginning of man's story, or woman's story, both of our stories, Satan arrives on the scene. And guess what he's doing? 
telling more lies. Um, this is Satan. He is absolutely an accuser and a liar. And so often I think we can think, we can buy into his lies and his accusations. And so my goal tonight is hopefully to um, get you in tune with more with God's script for your life. So before we get into Esther, I want you guys to ask yourself, what are some false scripts or like false voices that you think about yourself or your life? For example, I'll never be pure. I'll always struggle with impurity. I'll never overcome my fears and anxieties. I'll never be bold for the mission. My life will never make a difference. Or I'm too fill in the blank. <laughs> or I'm not enough fill in the blank. Those are some of those false scripts that I'm talking about. Um, for me, some of my false scripts that I have to be perfect to be accepted, that I'm not worthy just the way I am. Um, when I was a young Christian, I had a very significant discipling time that, that really kind of traumatized me, to be honest. And this late, I had just gotten married, and this lady's like, you are so unloving. One day your husband's going to wake up and see just how unloving you are. And um, like that has really stuck with me. Like, I'm just not good at relationships. I'm so unloving. Um, it's a script that runs through my head. Um, another script, like, I don't have the right personality to be in the ministry. You know, I'm not extroverted enough. I'm not this, I'm not that. Those are some of the scripts that I wrestle with for myself. Um, how about you guys? Is any, any of those ring true or sound familiar? Um, I want to open it up if anyone feels vulnerable and uh, like they would be willing to share. I would love to hear. Yeah. Um, it's a false, false script for sure. I mean, that's huge. Yeah. Most of the battle of life is with false scripts. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks for sharing, Tammy. Anyone else? Devin? Thanks for sharing. Okay, one more, Ashley. <laughs> I think it was just like this uh, year, like I'm in more like a dance class because I'm trying to challenge myself, but then like I see like that so many, like, so many people that are younger than me are in those dance classes and I'm like a junior, so that's really difficult to like fall on like, oh, well, I'm obviously not smart enough or like mm. that like, oh, you're less than this person. Like I keep seeing like more intelligent people, like someone who got a 34 on their Uh, it's funny how a lot of our false scripts come from comparing ourselves to each other. 
Um, well, like I said, I want us to take a look at Esther tonight. Um, she was a woman who had every reason to doubt herself. Um, she had every reason to feel insecure and insignificant. Um, she had every reason to live in fear and anxiety. And yet God had a totally different script for her life and an incredible purpose for her life as well. So let's look at the first script of Esther's, and that is the script of her past. <clears throat> do you have these, Ellen? <laughs> I'm totally failing. I can't do the. I can't do more than one thing at, at a time here. So I turn control over to Ellen with the PowerPoint. All right. So the script of F Esther's past. First thing we want to look at is that she was a Jew. Um, if you want to open up your Bibles to Esther chapter two. In verse 5, it says, Now there was in the citadel of Susa a Jew of the tribe of Benjamin named Mordecai, son of Jair, the son of Shimei, the son of Kish, who had been carried into exile from Jerusalem by Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, among those taken captive with Jehoiakim, king of Judah. Mordecai had a cousin named Hadassah, whom he had brought up because she had neither father nor mother. So we see... Mordecai and his niece Esther were Jews living in exile in Persia. And um, I just want to share from my study Bible what their perspective on this was. It says, being a Jew in Persia brought challenges. The Persians insisted that worshiping many different gods was right. To the Persians who valued inclusiveness, the Jews seemed to be a people who were unreasonably intolerant, which led to hostility. In fact, Esther was instructed not to reveal her identity as a Jew after she had been chosen to be queen in order to not arouse suspicion of disloyalty to the empire. So as a Jew, you're an outsider. You're kind of, you know, one of the weirdos. Like, what do you mean you don't worship other gods? And why are you so exclusive? And um, an outsider as a Jew. The second thing from her script of her past as um, I just read in verse 7, was that she was an orphan. Imagine what that would do to a young girl being raised by an uncle. Um, I think of my uncles and, uh, you know, <laughs> to not have a mom, um, the script that that would create in your mind and what that would do to you as a young girl. So being an orphan. Another aspect of her past script was that she was a captive. Um, in chapter, and I don't mean just as a Jew, okay? In chapter one, we see that the Persian king Xerxes had gotten upset with his wife um, because she refused to come in and dance or present herself while he was partying with all the guys. She didn't want to come in. And so he impulsively made a decision to get rid of her. And in chapter two, verse eight, let's pick it up there. It says, when the king's order and edict had been proclaimed, <clears throat> many girls were brought to the citadel of Susa and put under the care of Haggai. Esther was also taken to the king's palace. So the king had gotten rid of his wife and basically started to get lonely and realized he missed having his wife. And they proposed, well, why don't you send out an edict and get all the beautiful young virgins and bring them in to, to basically be prepared for one of them to become the next queen. Now, think about that. 
Esther did not have a choice. She was a young Jewish girl living her life, and in comes this person, like, all right, you're coming with me, headed off to the king's palace. Wow, what that must have felt like as a foreigner, as an orphan, as a young girl to be put in that situation. She was taken captive. Um, all right, the last thing we see about Esther's past. She was brought to the king, uh, like we said, someone she had never met, someone that she may only meet once to have sex with. Now, in our day and age, we would probably call that rape. You know, I think um, if you watch the Hollywood version, they make it this big romantic night and whatever. I'm like, no, this girl did not know this man. Um, there's certain things about him. One, comment, one commentator um, describes the king as, um, well, he describes it like this. The girls were taken one by one for the king to sleep with. After this, they didn't return to the other virgins, but instead were added to the number of the king's other concubines, also known as sex slaves without wife status. No other man could ever be their husband, and they never saw the king again unless he was, quote, pleased with them. In short, the king test drove all the models before making his purchase, and he purchased Esther to replace his former queen. Um, think about what that would feel like. I, yeah, I can't imagine um, that script that must have been running through her head. Uh, another commentator says that in, um, in the historical writings of people, there was 400 women that were chosen. So 399 didn't get. Esther was a one. Um, the 399 that weren't chosen were banished to the harem where they stayed the wife or the concubine of the king, but rarely, if ever, saw him after. And again, they were never free to marry another man, essentially living as a perpetual widow. So she, you know, it's like, do I get chosen? Do I not? Either one is not a good situation. But that was what is in Esther's history. So what are, in, in our own words, what are some of the wrong scripts that Esther could have listened to? <clears throat> she was a nobody, a Jew in Susa. She was insignificant, not part of the right crowd, the wealthy, the powerful, the Persians. She was broken, an orphan raised by an uncle. Her past was too challenging. She was damaged. She was chosen, perhaps, only because of her beauty or because she was sexually satisfying, not because of who she really was, not because the king knew her. Um, and due to her gender, culture, and circumstance, she could have thought of herself as powerless and invisible. So for you guys, let's bring it back to us. Are there things in your history, in your past scripts, your upbringing, your experiences, that Satan whispers in your ear and that dwell deep in your heart? Have you let them define who you are? The Bible absolutely has a different message for us. Um, I have three scriptures. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. <clears throat> it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. 
That's the truth of who we are to God. Another scripture, Psalm 103, verse 12. It says, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. All the, all the sins of our past, completely removed as far as the east is from the west. And the third scripture, Hebrews 10, verse 19. It says, I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm like, that doesn't look right. Hebrews 10, verse 14. Because by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. So we can take those false scripts and say like, no, those are lies from Satan. I am a new creation. Even though I'm not perfect, God's clothed me in Christ and sees me as, as perfect while I'm in the process of becoming more like Jesus. And my sins are as far as the east is from the west. Is this how you define yourself? Or are you more defined by your past scripts? So that's the first script. The second script I want to look at is Esther's present script. So back to the book of Esther. Um, Esther, yeah, oh. <laughs> so Esther is queen. Um, that's the present we're talking about. Obviously, it's the past for us. <laughs> In Esther's present, she is queen, but it is not a life of security. Um, just think about what happened to the last queen. In a fit of rage, King Xerxes had her out, right? Not only that, but think about her marriage. Again, I'm going to read from a, uh, the book, Every Woman in the Bible. It says, it describes King Xerxes. He was an absolute ruler, and there is good reason to believe he was also slightly mad. He launched a number of campaigns against the Greeks, suffering successive defeats. On one occasion, when a storm destroyed a bridge over which he expected his troops to pass, he ordered soldiers into the water to beat the waves with whips. Okay, so a little cuckoo, right? <laughs> Also, his erratic decision-making was illustrated in his treatment of Queen Vashti, the first wife. His brutality is illustrated in his ready agreement to Haman's plot to wipe out an entire race of people in the empire. And his unpredictability was illustrated by his inaccessibility, the fact that people were not allowed to approach him unless he sent for them, and anyone who did so was to be put to death unless the king extended his scepter to them. This is the marriage Esther was in, all right? This is her present script. Not only that, but she still had to keep secret who she really was. Esther 2 verse 20 tells us, keep your identity a secret. Um, on top of that, while she was queen, Haman, this evil guy in the king's court, becomes angry at Esther's uncle, because he won't bow down to him. Let's read chapter 3, verse 5 through 6. <clears throat> when Haman saw that Mordecai would not kneel down or pay him honor, he was enraged. Yet having learned who Mordecai's people were, he scorned the idea of killing only Mordecai. Instead, Haman looked for a way to destroy all Mordecai's people, the Jews throughout the whole kingdom of Xerxes. So this is the present climate 
of Esther as queen. The insecurity, the loneliness, the marriage she was in, the man she was married to, not only that, but the, the culture at the time, the situation that was going on was all of the Jews were going to be killed. Um, <clears throat> so again, let's bring it back to our, our words. Her present script, her circumstances could be said as being out of control, out of her control. She was stuck in a position that she never chose, married to a mad, brutal, unpredictable, and inaccessible man. She had to hide her identity as a Jew. She was probably lonely, probably surrounded by women who were incredibly jealous of her. Remember, she was one out of 400 chosen. Um, and she could not approach her husband without being invited. In fact, she could be killed for doing so. That's a pretty intense present script that Esther was living in. What is yours? Um, like Esther, are there circumstances in your life right now that seem too big for God, that feel out of your control, like that there's no way out, uh, maybe no hope ahead? No, no matter what you do, you can't change. Is our response to those circumstances in our life similar to Esther's? Um, let's look at what that was. Her first response, you know, I think Esther's so famous for what she did, and we'll get to that, but actually her first response wasn't that great. Um, her first response was filled with excuses. In uh, chapter 4, so um, I, I'm sorry, if you're not familiar with the story, Mordecai learns of how all the Jews are going to be killed, and he's like, Esther, this is what's going on. You need to talk to the king, okay? And so Mordecai has a message sent to Esther, but this is what she says. <clears throat> we'll pick it up in verse 10. Then she instructed, Esther instructed the messenger to say to Mordecai, all the king's officials and the people of the royal provinces know that for any man or woman who approaches the king in the inner court without being summoned, the king has but one law, that he be put to death. The only exception to this is for the king to extend the gold scepter to him and spare his life. But 30 days have passed since I was called to go to the king. That's her response. I think I can understand, right? I mean, think about the situation she was in. She was like, no way. I would die. I could die by facing this. I just need to protect myself. I think we can relate, right? When we look at our present script and how we respond sometimes, we can make excuses. Mm -hmm. We can become bitter. Or we can try and take control. Maybe I can just change the circumstances. And until I do, I'm going to be discontent and miserable. Um, we can be unwilling to surrender to God's sovereignty. We can just sit in anger, which ultimately hurts no one but ourselves. Is that how we are responding to our present script? Or we have a choice. We can choose to let the challenges of our circumstances refine our character. We can choose to let these challenges draw us nearer to God and ultimately make us more like Jesus. So consider, how is God developing and refining you right now through your, 
present circumstances. How is he using your present script to help you draw nearer to him, to become more like Jesus, and ultimately to be this incredible vessel for God to work through? So we know Esther's first response was, not me. (laughs) But the story doesn't end there. Her heart was moved and she was changed. So how did she get to that point? How did she face the reality of these circumstances to become a brave woman, full of conviction? And this is what we're going to look at lastly tonight. Point number three, her future script. Um, I believe that the scriptures give us five reasons that Esther came to the conviction that she must approach the king, that she had come to this position for this time. So the first one is she realized her own imminent destruction. Um, Let's go back to Esther chapter 4. And in verse 12, we'll pick it up there. When Esther's words, her first response, were reported to Mordecai, he sent back this answer. Do not think that because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. I think that was a big wake-up call for Esther. (laughs) Like, oh, this isn't just about, like, the Jews. This is about me, too. Um, And I think a lot of times that's how it starts for us. We realize, like, if I make the wrong choice here, it's not going to go well for me. I'm going to end up living in bitterness. I'm going to live in anger. I'm going to be unsurrendered. Um, I'm not going to be a vessel for God. Ultimately, it's going to destroy my life. And Esther realized her life was on the line. It wasn't just the big Jewish, you know, the whole group at large. So that was her first thing that helped her come to conviction. Second thing, she moved beyond herself and um, not only her own imminent destruction, but realized that all her people would be destroyed as well. Let's pick it up back in Esther 4. It says, If you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place, but you and your father's family will perish. And who knows that you have come to royal position for such a time as this? Um, I think it's interesting that um, he points out here, you, you have a choice if you're going to be a part of this awesome thing that God's about to do. And you know what that reminded me of was um, Barry's lesson, how he asked Martha and Mary to be a part of the miracle. To be a, they had to take the grave clothes off, remember that? And then they had to roll away the stone. Like, God could have, Jesus could have raised Lazarus from the dead. We see here, God is going to rescue his people. He absolutely was going to save the Jews, but he wants to include Esther in that amazing thing. He wants her to be a part of it. And so she realizes, like, well, I can be a part of saving all the Jewish people. Um, Her heart was moved. She realized, like, my people are going to be destroyed and I can be a help. God can use me to save them. For us, How much time do we spend considering the lives of the people around us, how Satan is destroying their lives? I believe when we do that, it can really move our hearts um, to gain conviction on what we need to do for our future script. All right, so the third thing is she relied on God. Let's go back to Esther 4, verse 15. It says, 
Then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai. Go, gather together all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my maids will fast as you do. When this is done, I will go to the king. All right. She relied on God. And it's interesting because they, in the whole book of Esther, they never actually mention God, even though he is absolutely evident throughout the book. But in, in Old Testament times, you will never see fasting when it's not accompanied by prayer. So by saying they were fasting, it also tells us there was prayer involved. We know that Esther realized she needed to rely on God by calling a fast. She was asking the Jews to also pray for God's help. Fourth practical, she asked the others for help. She said, gather all the Jews for this fasting in time of prayer. She knew she couldn't do it on her, on her own. She needed the support of the community. The fifth thing that we see is that she surrendered the outcome. She ends in verse 16, if I perish, I perish. You know, we don't know the outcome of our future scripts, but we can surrender it to God and trust him. And that's what Esther did. She was ready to die to carry out what God had planned for her future script. So through these things, Esther took hold of God's script for her life, um, not only for her own life, but for the future of the Jewish people. And she was able to live out this amazing destiny that God had planned for her all along. So as we head um, towards wrapping things up, I want you guys to think about Esther and the questions that it forces us to ask of ourselves. Why has God put you in such a time as this? Why has he put you through the things in your past or even in your present circumstances? Why has he done this? Who are your people that need to be saved? Your family, your friends, your neighbors, your coworkers, and what are you willing to risk? Those are the questions we need to ask ourselves. So, in conclusion, I, tonight I want you guys to consider what scripts are you living by? Is it the script of your past, your present circumstances, or are you taking hold of God's script? I want you to think about whose voice is loudest in your head. Is it the truth of God's word or the lies of Satan? And I think in our world today, what often fills our mind is social media, the scripts of social media. Um, Satan, I believe, just works so powerfully comparing what are other people doing? How did they respond? Did they like what I wrote? How many whatevers you know, did I get? Um, I believe it's a tool of Satan to fill our minds with false scripts. Mm -hmm. Is the voice of Satan or the lies of the world louder than God's truth? <clears throat> when we look at Esther, um, we see, I love this description, the Blue Letter Bible. Thanks to Joel, he recommended that. Um, there's a great description in the Blue Letter Bible. When we look at Esther, we see God choosing a woman who had everything taken from her. Her parents, her freedom, her people, her virginity, her future. He used someone who, due to gender, culture, and circumstance, was powerless and invisible, and he made her the pivotal, formidable heroine. 
In our sin, Satan has taken everything from us. Our true identity, our hope, our purpose, our eternal salvation. But God defeated Satan at the cross, and he chose you. Let's turn over to 1 Peter 2, verse 9. First Peter two verse nine. <clears throat> but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. You are royalty. Think about that. All the whatever of the king and queens of the past, like God describes you as royalty in his eyes. You are a priesthood. That means we're like the inter intercessors between the lost and God. He's entrusted us with that job. I love studying the priests in the Old Testament and all the things about them and then thinking like, wow, that's how God sees me. I mean, that's pretty cool. Um, so we're royalty. We're a priesthood. We are chosen. God absolutely chose you. God chose you. He wants to work through you. He wants to make you a pivotal, a pivotal. That's like weird. I'm like, I got to read it so I can say it. A pivotal, pivotal. Where's Ivy? I'm doing an Ivy. <laughs> a pivotal, formidable heroine. That's who God wants to make you against Satan and the powers of this dark world. So tonight, let's rewrite our scripts. Let's define who we are and what's going on, our life, on in our life and what we're here for according to God's word and not the scripts of our past or circumstances. All right, so discussion questions. I'd like you guys to break up into your D groups as much as possible. Um, I have three questions. First of all, what scripts do you tend to live by? Second, what are the truths from God's script that you need to meditate on and live by? And three, what are ways that God may want to use your past or present script for such a time as this? All right. Thank you, ladies. We can um, break up.